This is Lexis, the podcast all about linguistics. Hi, I'm Matthew Butler. I'm Jackie Glancy. I'm Dan Clayton. And I'm Lisa Casey. We thought it would be interesting to pick out, as part of this um, programme, some pieces about sort of topical news items which related to language. I'm going to start. Um... How many of you were sat at home watching the Dominic Cummings press conference? Mm. Yeah, I think we were all there, yeah. <laughs> Happened in the Rose Garden of number 10. Um, and I, along with lots of, uh, with hundreds of thousands of other people, was following along on Twitter. And obviously being the linguistics nerd that I am, was uh, noticing uh, the hashtags that were coming up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about two of the hashtags that jumped out, um, Cumgate and Domni Shambles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Camgate's a really interesting one. Um, the gate suffix being put on the end of other words to make up new words um, is actually a really long-standing idea in um, in neologisms or newly made words, uh, neologisms. And the gate suffix, the little bit that goes on the end, has actually got a really long history. You might recognise it from okay. anywhere. Anyone know yeah. where it comes from? Uh, Watergate. Yeah, exactly from the Watergate scandal in the 1970s. Um, and there's this history of taking the word gate and adding it on to other words. Um, yeah, you either see it all suggest, the time now, don't you? Yeah, and it is sort of everywhere. Um, either to suggest a political scandal and to give something an air of uh, scandalousness, um, yeah. or actually to sort of minimise and ridicule things that really aren't scandalous at all. Mm. Um, yeah, Wikipedia has actually got... Go on. We had a, um, a cup gate. At, uh, I'm a teacher and um, we had a cup gate at our school not too many years ago where we were kind of, uh, <laughs> where we had a bit of a to do about people's cups going missing and, and that's what it turned into. <laughs> exactly. And then kind of the use of the word gate either undermines the whole idea uh, and trivializes it mm-hmm. or of course supports the idea that it's actually a political scandal. And I think probably in the in the Dominic Cummings sense it was, it was probably a little bit of both. Some people People feeling like this was something really small and trivial in the eye of a global pandemic uh, that people were blowing out of proportion, but then also really quite political and others considered really serious. Uh, so an interesting one there. Um, and the other one was Domni Shambles, which I thought was great. What great, mm-hmm. what great new word. Yeah, um, I would be proud of that one. I know, right? And I think maybe there were a group of people looking at it who were particularly interested. Um, does anyone know how or can think about how it was that Domni Shambles might have been put together? What kind of linguistic processes were at work there? What's the the one where you take someone's name and you um, kind of make a word out of it? Is that sort of you're naming something after somebody? Is it eponym or something like that? So the yeah, Dom- that's right, like yeah. Dominic. Um, yeah. Like who? Quite a lot of those, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, is it Wellington and Sandwich are the famous ones? Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, of course, punning on the name Dominic as well. So, it's not just an eponym, it's a punned one. Um, And of course, um, also adds to an existing word as well. So, we've got Omni Shambles as sort of the root of it that it's been punned on. Uh, and Omni Shambles in itself was a neologism, uh, again, a new word that was made up a couple of years ago. Did anyone know who it was that came up with Omni Shambles? I think that was the thick of it, wasn't it? The political satire. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that works really well then, doesn't it? Because the whole programme was about kind of satirising um, British political um, kind of workings, wasn't it? So I think if you, if you, 
get that, you probably would really enjoy this one. And I think yeah, and that. Go on. Just going to say about the other element of it, I hadn't really thought about it until the, the sort of looking at the the bits that make up Omni Shambles. Is you've got you've got is, I don't I'm I'm rubbish at knowing if it's Greek or Latin, but the Omni bit it's is kind Latinist. of all, isn't it? Omni, is it? Yeah. yeah, Omni is Latinist, yeah. Yeah. So it was a it's um it's a Latin at morpheme meaning all that's used in all sorts of different words like omnipresent and omnipotent mm. and and words like that meaning all. Yeah, literally. So in this case, it's got this wonderful suggestion of not just a shambles but a complete shambles. Yes. Uh, and then yeah. with the with the eponymic pun put on top, Domni shambles. Like it's a it really stamps his identity on the on the sea of chaos that we see around us. And this yeah. for me was a really lovely example of where hashtags can be hashtags can be used humorously to kind of bond people who are geographically disparate mm. into uh, a shared moment uh, in this case on twitter and probably while watching the press conference at the same time um and again as a linguist is a and as someone particularly interested in how sort of language operates in new media like on platforms mm. like twitter yeah. um this was lovely. There's loads of sort of growing research in this area and this idea about using hashtags to bond groups together, either through supporting the hashtag or by using the hashtag sarcastically or ironically for humor um, is a really nice one. If anybody's interested, they can go and look at the work of Michelle Zappavinga. Uh, who came up with this theory called ambient affiliation. Really, really lovely and interesting work about hashtags uh, for community bonding. So that, that, that was my term you had there, ambient affiliation, what, what does that mean, then, Lisa? So obviously affiliation, meaning to bind or bond people together, that we mm -hmm. can create community bonds through um, using specific kind of hashtags. And this ambient idea, for me, I think comes from this idea that you're not in the same geographical space, that you can okay. have a connection mm. with someone who you've never met face to face, mm. who you've possibly only interacted with on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, mm. And maybe even not, you may not have even interacted with them on those platforms, but you can be bonded sort of across time and space through this shared use of a hashtag that carries this certain weight for you. And it could be, yeah. it could be heavily political. We're seeing a lot of it at the minute with the Black Lives Matter um, mm -hmm. things. It could be ironic and sarcastic and really silly. Um, and I think the Domni shambles sort of sits in an area in between mm. those two things where it's both kind of politically serious, but definitely has a hint of mocking and satire mm -hmm. in there as well. I think that's yeah, a really interesting point you touch sure. on because there's a lot of uh, hashtags that were trending that night, but the spectrum of sort of seriousness to non-seriousness really did vary. Mm. So you had the, what I thought was more of a catch-all hashtag, uh, just hashtag Dominic Cummings, and then you had uh, hashtag Dominic Shambles. So clearly more non-serious, I thought. And interesting investigation, I reckon, would be into whether the non-serious hashtags do represent more non-serious views than the kind of catch-all, more neutral uh, hashtags, mm. like uh, hashtag Dominic Cummings. Yeah, and this is a quite quite nice thing for the listeners to be able to do as well if they're interested. Uh, if, there's, if there is a big kind of popular event happening, um, often televised, uh, be that a kind of sporting event or something that's popular in the news at that minute, 
go and have a look at your social media platform of choice and have a look at the at the kind of top topics that are trending and, and pick them apart a bit because it's definitely exactly as Matthew said an investigation that you can do yourselves just for fun. The hashtag now is that sort of way of actually bringing people together as Lisa said across kind of time and space almost mm. uh, virtual space um it's and it's it's that sort of element of it where you you feel like you're part of some sort of shared conversation um so if you if you happen to be sort of watching something like i don't know britain's got talent or you know something like that where you've you, there's a hashtag running a comment you know commentary on it or eurovision's really good for this um Great british bake-off all of that is perfect isn't it <laughs> yeah and you've got some really interesting conversations going on some of it as you say kind of ironic and mocking some of it deadly serious um it's really, really interesting to have a look at those kind of things and, and explore the different attitudes, you know, towards them. Okay, so a second bit of news that we thought was interesting from a sort of linguistic point of view as well is connected to this idea of um, press conferences. We said Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jenny Harries, who was talking a bit about the um, test and trace, track and trace system that's going in um, into place at some point, um, if not now, then perhaps maybe by the end of September, who knows? Um, and there was a question that was raised by one of the journalists at the press conference, which was how people would know it was a genuine call that was being made. Um, and I think there's some concern around this, isn't there? Is that mm. there are people who, you know, quite vulnerable, maybe not particularly kind of internet savvy or mm. maybe quite trusting of people phoning up saying they're from authority who could easily be scamming them. Um, and so the journalist asked a question and her response was, she said, it will be obvious. These will be professionally trained individuals. It'd be evident from the way they'd speak. And quite an interesting kind of <laughs> angle, isn't it? Because how do we actually sort of measure if someone sounds professional? Um, is it going to be down to things like their use of standard English? If they're speaking, they're going to be maybe dialect features involved, perhaps accent features as well. You know, we all know that, you know, when you're studying English language, you, you, you realise that everybody's got their own individual way of speaking and um, you know, whether you sound professional or kind of trained or genuine can be a matter of judgment from um, all mm. sorts of different sort of perspectives. Mm. So it's, it's quite an interesting one. And so I think, you know, there has been some work done on things like this. Um, certainly looking at emails um, quite a long while ago, 2004, 2005, um, Jeff Pullum, who's one of the contributors to the Language Log blog, which is a linguistics blog, um, looked at some of the language used in phishing emails. Do you, are people aware of these kind of things? Phishing with like a PH? Tell us about those then, Dan. They're sort of scam emails where people send them to kind of fish for your details. So they're okay, yeah, yeah. saying like, you know, I'm a recently deposed you know, prince of, you know, some uh, place that you may or may not exist. Um, and I've got, you know, millions and millions of pounds to transfer to your bank account um, if you help me out. Just need your bank yeah. details. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, we might think these sound ludicrous and nobody would ever fall for these things, but they send thousands and thousands of these things out and it, all it takes is one or two people to actually fall for it. They've been called 419 scams because um, I think that links to something in the Nigerian legal code um, they're more generally called sort of phishing scams um, or just scam emails. And Jeff Pullum looked at a few of those. And certainly back in 2004, they, they were relatively unsophisticated. So the emails often contain quite, you know, obvious grammatical errors. Um, they seem completely inappropriate in their style and their register. Um, mm. But obviously, when you're talking about somebody who's um, 
know, phoning you up. These things are harder to detect. You know, spoken English is more, you know, free flowing. We don't necessarily use standard English. Um, it could be more problematic. Um, he said a while ago, Jeff Pullum, this is most attempts at phishing are astonishingly incompetent. You wonder how people could be taken in. But it's it's clearly a different issue when you know you're getting a phone call from somebody saying, I'm from the NHS. Mm. Um, and it's connected to you know something you might be expecting someone to contact you about. So that's that's one area that people could have a look at and think think a little bit about you know what what makes somebody sound professional. And of course, one of the things that you might want to look at for that is is all around the theme of accent. And there's been lots of interesting stuff recently about how accents are judged by uh, by all sorts of different people. This is Lexis. To get involved, share a story or feature your linguistic research, visit anchor.fm slash Lexis podcast. So something you might have heard of is the new BBC virtual assistant, Hey Beeb. Oh, yeah, it's going to have a northern voice, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to have a northern accent, a generic northern accent. Whoop. <laughs> First and foremost, for me, I think um, that's a positive, certainly for supporters of language change and language diversity. Usually the accents used are standard Southern British English accents or American accents. So I think it's a um, really good move for the BBC to be using this Northern accent. I, I'm not so sure about this, Matthew. How, is, how am I, as a Southerner, to understand Northern accent? Yeah, so uh, and recently, um, you know, the the um, the BBC archives that that, that pop up those um, on this day um, mm. things. There was one um, fairly recently. It was towards the end of May, um, and it w- it went back to 1943, and it had um, John Snag, um, who I think must have been the director of the BBC at the time. I'm not sure, um, but he was explaining why. Um, the BBC News needed to be read in what was um, termed then a, a BBC accent. And his very point was that uh, listeners would become distracted by the sound of, of you know, like Northern or, or other regional accents and uh, and really wouldn't be able to concentrate on the information being given. Um, so I'm just hoping that our listeners can, can focus on what we're Shocking. saying and, <laughs> and not be distracted by these Northern tones. Well, the BBC has clearly changed the position because this week their press release said that uh, the Northern accent is a caring and trustworthy accent. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's lots, of, there's lots of research to back that up, right? Is that, um, mm. is that, is that the, the general kind of British public tend to trust a Northern accent more than they would people who sound like Dan? Sorry, But Dan. doesn't it just feed into stereotypes? That, that, that was my view on it. it. It's kind of a good thing that they've used a Northern accent, um, albeit a generic Northern accent. Um, but isn't it just reinforcing stereotypes? I mean, no, stereotypes, I, I, I get what you're yeah. saying there, yeah. yeah. No, I think, I, th- I think that's a fair point, isn't it? I mean, it's in some cases, though, the stereotype is actually very good for business, isn't it? Because there was a spate of call centres mm. opening offices in the North East, particularly. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because the accent was seen as, you know, one that people all around the UK could relate to. And on the flip side of it, I think the stereotype around um, non-British accents caused problems for some companies that um, outsourced to India and Pakistan, mm. where mm. Um, there were complaints, sometimes maybe justified, but probably a lot of them based on sort of xenophobia and not really w- wanting to listen to a, a foreign sounding accent in some cases, um, where you know, companies were, um, had, had problems where, uh, with you know, using those call centres. 
Yeah, I, w- I would. I mean, I would say with this uh, this particular issue on balance, I think it's good to hear more variety um, in terms of accent. Mm. And even though that you know the motives might be questionable, um, I'd say on balance, yeah, let's let's have a northern voice. I do wonder as well. Is is there is there something maybe in terms of sort of age related um, attitudes to accents? Um, I mean, I certainly get the impression. I mean, maybe this is just kind of a symptom of kind of growing old. But you do you do kind of feel. I, I certainly feel that I hear more and see more people with regional accents on TV than there ever mm-hmm. were, and there does seem to be more of a kind of um, celebration of those. So I mean, if you take something like Love Island which I don't, I, I don't watch necessarily out of bits. choice, obviously, but I, I, um, my family watch. There, you know, there's, there's a lot of celebration of regional difference there. Um, and, you know, you, you, you come across lots more uh, kind of reality TV programmes, you know, Geordie Shaw. I mean, I hate, to, I'm, you know, I live in Essex, so I don't really want to celebrate TOWIE, but, you know, certainly that's quite a popular programme, isn't it? Then talk about because it's an assistant, then the accent which is used is going to be associated mm. with someone who's got a lot of knowledge. But knowledge about what? Pies? Coal mines? I wonder if you could ask this uh, virtual assistant whether it like prefers bread cakes or bread rolls. Farm <laughs> <Bam> cakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because, of course, the idea of a generic northern accent is, yeah, what is a, it? Bit of a, mis- yeah. a bit of a mm-hmm. misnomer as well. And anybody yeah. that, that kind of is involved in accent studies or dialect studies knows that there's as much variation within northern accents and dialects as there are anywhere else. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's part of the issue is that for, to make to make the conversation easier and accessible for a generic audience, you have to kind of sift out to the nuances. Uh, and mm. so you kind of get this rather unpleasant, harsh southern northern binary that, you know, doesn't really exist in no. practice. Mm. It's always more complicated, isn't it? Okay, so um, kind of connected to that then, really, um, one thing that I thought was interesting this week is um, a YouTube video that's uh, it's been doing the rounds on um, kind of linguistic Twitter. Um, it's called English with Lucy. Um, and having had a look at some of Lucy's videos, um, I've, I've found out that um, this is somebody who has... Um, 350,000 subscribers. Um, some of Ooh, her videos have 12 again, million then. views. Um, oh, and she's on a mission to right, kind okay. of um, teach us how to speak English properly, basically. Um, now, a, a lot of her target audience um, is, you know, in, uh, speaking English as a, as a second language. Yeah. Um, but the one that, that really caught my attention was the one where she compares um, a northern accent um, to what she says is a standard nice accent. Um, <laughs> and that just kind of got my goat straight away. Yeah. Um, so I had a little listen. Um, and, and, and what was what was interesting was um, she was doing this with a, a, a colleague of hers who originally had um, a, a north northwestern accent, um, but had kind of um, changed her accent so it was more RP. Um, mm. So every time um, Lucy said a word in a kind of more standard RP accent, um, her friend would say the equivalent in a kind of Mancunian accent. And then they would both dissolve into, you know, fits of giggles. Um, and it just made me think, really, you know, how, how although we've, we've kind of gotten somewhere, we've got somewhere with um, um, accentism, um, there really is still some work to do. Yeah. Um, 
especially when um, when her, her friend put on her Scouse accent and, and Lucy told her that it sounded as though she's got a hairball in her mouth and you say, the whole the whole kind of thing made me think you know we still do um you know value um rp um above other accents um and there's still i mean these were these were relatively young people um mm-hmm. and i think you know there's, there still is an issue there with you know what's seen as um an accent that is um powerful that sounds educated yeah. mm-hmm. um that sounds professional you know all of all of these things um, i think it would be i mean t- to my mind it would be fine to sort of poke fun at each other's accents if we were all on a level playing field mm-hmm. um but we're not and i think mm-hmm. there's been quite a lot of work done on accentism um i think there's the accentism project isn't there that yeah yeah run at mm-hmm. manchester yeah. met um that's and Drummond, isn't it? And that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and I think there's there's also the the work being done at QMUL in East London um the Accent Bias in Britain project which is um mm. Deviani Sharma and Don Watt and mm. they, there's there's some really interesting stuff they've looked at with that around hierarchies of accents. Mm. And that kind of sense in which there's historically always been a kind of sense that you know as you said like rp is seen as having more prestige and power um we talked a little bit earlier about other accents sounding more kind of um friendly and perhaps that was it the, the 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 sort of assistant accent for the bbc sounding kind of uh friendly and reliable um mm. but i think some of the work they've done as well was showing that, that while there's you know there have been changes and positive changes and, and kind of movements away from accent prejudice. There is still that hierarchy there, even if the extremes have maybe been squished in a little bit. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, I think where, where it becomes um, dangerous is where people in positions of responsibility and power um, become the kind of like almost gatekeepers of, of language and tell other people mm. how, how they should speak to sound professional. Mm. I know um, yeah. Um, uh, Baratta, uh, Alex Baratta um, from Manchester University um, did some research with, uh, he, he talked to student teachers um, and it was interesting um, how quite a percentage of, of um, yeah. trainee teachers were told to modify their accents um, mm-hmm. and, and generally it was those with the, the accents from the Midlands or from the North who were told that, you know, mm-hmm. they needed to speak um, with something closer to a, a, an RP accent. Um, one, one that stood out particularly for me was um, a student teacher from the Midlands who was told by her mentor, um, if she couldn't adopt a Southern accent, accent then uh, it would be better that, uh, that she went back to where she came from. And you just think, oh, oh my you, know, can you, can you imagine how much damage that would do to a, a trainee teacher um, yeah. And I think that's, that's you know, really when, when damaging, you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, when it, like making... it's fine to have a to have a giggle with your with your friend on a on a YouTube mm. video, but that that's that's yeah, it's, you know, it's that shocking, is accentism. That is yeah, that's prejudice, yeah. plain and uh-huh. simple. And I think when you start to kind of pick away at, at people's, I mean, accent to me is you know it's it's part of your identity. And when you start to pick away at that, um, you you make people feel as if they're not good enough. Um, and I think in a situation like that, um, it needs to be called out. It needs to be challenged. 
I was going to say one of the really one of the really nice things that came out with the English with Lucy debacle, if you can call it that, mm. is of course linguist Twitter sort of mobilised mm. uh, in this <laughs> yeah. rather joyful fashion with lots of really polite and well-meaning linguists kind of um, saying you know, this is problematic for all of these mm-hmm. different reasons that we've just talked about. Uh, and then Lucy came back and said that she hadn't even realised that and she was really sorry and she took yeah, the video down. Yeah, she took down. it down, didn't she? Yeah. She took yeah. it down. And, mm-hmm. so, and so even though we think that we are that we are people screaming into the void, like there's, there's real tangible outcome, I think, when you mm. can have honest conversations about and mm-hmm. taking those ideas and where they come from. It's a really yeah. happy ending on the end of that one. Has anyone heard about the accent reduction course, which you can now take? Oh, yes. I did see something about that this Sounds week. Sounds vile, yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. It's really expensive. It's like £600. I mean, and what do you get for your money then? Uh, you get a brand new accent. Oh! <laughs> which one, Matthew? Which one do you get? Well, it'll be a nicer, more authoritative, clear, professional-sounding accent. <laughs> nicer in inverted commas. The issue I sort of had with this is, I, I think it was the way that they marketed it as accent reduction. I think it should be something like accent acquisition. But on the website, they sort of say that they're aiming for clarity and for you to sound more professional. I think they may they may say that they're aiming for clarity, but but underneath it, isn't it a lot more pernicious than that? Yeah. Isn't it, is, doesn't it just come down to uh, reinforcing prejudices yeah. about accents, essentially? Yeah, I think clarity is a bit of a code word, isn't it? As well as, yeah. you it know, is. professionalism, it's all kind of coded yeah. for let's get rid of the regional accents if you, <laughs> if you want to be where... taken seriously. Yeah. yeah, and kind of bringing us back full loop to kind of the hashtags that we talked about at the beginning is that in the same way that the hashtags operate as a code, they they become a symbol of the thing that you're talking about more broadly. Words like professionalism do the mm. same thing. Absolutely, they yeah. Come, they come to operate at a level, at a meta level that sits above mm. and beyond what's actually being said. Um, pragmatically, they function in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, I think mm. we need to be wary of them. So I heard an interview the other day um, and it was basically this guy who said he changed his accent so that he could sell um, whatever it was he was selling better. So he lived in North Yorkshire, he had a broad Yorkshire accent and whenever he went over to Middlesbrough, which is just sort of over the uh, other side of the motorway, um, he found he just wasn't getting any sales. So his reason for, for changing his accent and acquiring a new accent, the Middlesbrough accent, so he could be, he said, more relatable and sell more. Yeah, we're quite, we're quite suspicious of uh, <laughs> Yorkshireman, isn't he, so. Okay, well, that's us for now. Uh, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. All right, see you. Bye. Bye-bye.